I remember walking off to the to the rink uh, for the third period and looking at Derek and the other two partners that were with, and I just said, "I think this is what it's like going to the electric chair." <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, of course, Derek turned around and said, "Dead man walking." So. Tech Hockey Guide presents. The Chasing McNaughton Podcast, covering the Michigan Tech Huskies and the CCHA with your host, Tim Brown, Rob Gilreath, Dustin Lindstrom, and Matt Cavender. Welcome to episode four of season five of the Chasing McNaughton Podcast, presented by Tech Hockey Guide and recorded from the state of hockey. I'm Tim Brown, your host, and I'm joined this week by Dustin Lindstrom. Hey, everyone. Rob Gilreath. Hey guys, and Matt Cavender. Hello, everybody. Uh, we can uh, this week we continue preparing for the start of the 2023-24 season by reaching out to Marco Hunt, the new director of officiating at the CCHA. Uh, we're hoping to chat about the upcoming season, what we can expect to be different and the same. Plus, uh, the crew will discuss the preseason polls that dropped today for the CCHA and probably touch on the Bowling Green situation that's been emerging all day. So. I think that's all we're going to cover. So let's do the thank you notes plus a brief note from our sponsors, and we'll be right back with Marco Hunt. Are you in the market for insurance? Have your rates for home, auto, boat, or more been increasing way beyond inflation? If so, maybe it's time you spoke with Aaron Piedela and the team at Arcadia Insurance Group, serving Michigan, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, and more. Who better to serve you than a former Michigan Tech player? For more information, call 866-511-1069 or go to ArcadiaAgency.com. We fund everything at Tech Hockey Guide from listeners like you. You can show your support by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash techhockeyguide. Whether you're interested in question priority, access to patron-only Zoom chats with coaches and players, instat deep dives, extended versions of the podcast, unedited video or audio, early access, or commercial-free listening, there's a level for you. We also now have 15% discounts off annual memberships with tiers ranging from $2 to $50 per month. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash techhockeyguide. All right. Thanks for joining us, Marco. Yeah, thanks, guys. So I know that we have some history going back. I don't know how much you remember um, running into us at random bars throughout the, the WCHA heydays. Um, but, um, I mean, I mean, I have distinct memories of uh, hanging out with you in, in a bar. I believe it was in Denver, wasn't it, Dustin? I, I think we did that too. Like, I think you guys were out there for, I don't know if you guys were actually out there for the CC series or if you guys were actually refing Denver and we just happened to be getting into town at the same time. Um, but well, I um, think uh, I, I do remember that exactly because Derek and I talk about it all the time. Oh, do you? <laughs> and and I'll tell you the story too, because we, we saw you guys in the airport. Oh, that was back in the one referee, two linesman days. Okay. Playoff. So I was at CC and he was at Denver. Okay. We stayed together in South Denver uh, because it was only CC was only an hour and a half drive or whatever at that point. So, yeah. But yeah, we saw you and then you you 
you guys wanted us to stop at a, at a bar that had like quarter beers or something like that. And, yep, yep. Somebody uh, told us about a good deal at a at a bar, yeah. and and you know Derek, he was never one to turn down cheap beer. So no, and he's still <laughs> mad at me to this day that I wanted to just get to the hotel and go to sleep because <laughs> I had a long week, and he still <laughs> will not let me live that down. <laughs> So yeah, I, I remember all you guys. Yeah. Do you remember that the 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 uh the night of the final five when we were all at Tom Reed's and that woman got inexplicably mad at you for no good reason? Do you remember that? Like yeah, the St. Cloud I, fan? I do. I, I, I remember that. Uh, and it was just you know, we talk about that all the time too. That was just bizarre. I mean <laughs> um, as a matter of fact, I think we were taking a picture of you guys something we were, and yeah and i think we you like backed up of, yeah and bumped into somebody or something and, yeah I, I don't i don't remember the specifics of it i remember being somebody being really irate <laughs> and then uh and then another giant man coming up and and uh buying us a beer or something like that so it was uh yeah it was a i do remember that night and the, yeah. the final five yeah, uh, yep. we were trying to we were trying to figure out how we could segue. We were going to bring up the Bowling Green situation, and then Dustin was supposed to say something about Marco. What'd you do? Um, because we remember Derek very loudly asking you that when that woman got upset at you in Tom Reed's. <laughs> now that's not like him at all. <laughs> <laughs> me under the bus. <laughs> no, I think I have plenty of recollections of him throwing you under the bus all the time. no yeah i'm trying to think of other ones i mean what what other good stories do you have from being on the road especially with uh shep all those years well paired with him you know 90 percent of them are going to be with him so we work so many games together but yeah you know we were so different um which was was really really weird it's such the same but so different as far as our backgrounds go and not um so it really was kind of a match made in heaven as far as that goes. And, and, and I, I was kind of a, you know, kind of fly under the radar kind of person. I didn't like a lot of attention. Um, I just kind of wanted to go out and work my game and then go have a beer and get something to eat and then go to bed. And, uh, and Derek would stay up and read the message boards on USCHO. Like religiously, he'd stay up late and read all of them. Every comment shirtless guy would make, <laughs> he would yeah. uh, he would read it and know who did it. And uh, so he, um, you know, he, he would then I could hear him over there because we always we always share share a room just because we got per diem and and we got along so well that uh, we would always share a hotel room. And uh, I would just hear him chuckling over there. <laughs> and I I would never go read those things because at one time I read in there somebody called me like Marco Rolo or something like that and I got mad and I said you know what I'm not reading them anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, he was uh, notorious for that. Um, we had our routines every city we went to. Um, you know, we knew where to go to have lunch. We know where to go after games. Um, I will tell you, Tech Tech was probably the most fun place we went to. Um, and, and I, I know the people up there think nobody wants to go up there, but I mean, that was like, that was so much fun up there all the time. And, um, the, 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 you know, Sean Jocks and Jordan, all we got to be, we got to be just like really good friends with those guys and, um, and just, just took really good care of us everywhere we went and it was just a lot of fun to do that. So that was one of our, our absolute favorites to go yeah. to. 
I ran into Sean Jacques on one of my last trips up to Houghton and uh I was I was talking to him for a couple minutes and I was like you don't know who I am do you and he's like I I recognize you but I can't place it and I'm like yeah it's probably tough with my shirt on and and then he was like oh Tim how you been you look really good so that was that was a fun trip getting to see him again and and uh, I've actually been talking to his nephew I think who runs Center Ice now trying to yeah, trying I, to figure out I, how to order jerseys again for for tech fans and it's been tough yeah I heard um I, I heard he's retired from the school district but I haven't heard much and you know I'll be up there at some point this winter and uh, I just want to make sure but I mean that's that's how it goes you just you get out of your life and you get wrapped up in it and you lose touch with some of these guys and that's hopefully but part of this this new job will allow me to get back out and see the buildings that I like and didn't like for that matter yeah <laughs> so you said Houghton was your favorite trip what was your least favorite place to go well um I, I didn't really hate going anywhere to be honest with you um I you know there were trips like uh actually as much fun as it was to work at Mariucci, um, being from here uh, made that a lot more difficult to work in because, you know, the amount of messages you get after games and, <laughs> you know, the whole next week you're talking about it and you hear Lou Nanny rip you on KFAN the next day. You know, it's just like, <laughs> you know that, that gets, that's a little bit tough to get. North Dakota, absolutely the hardest building ever. Just absolutely always, always a nightmare. Uh, no matter who they were playing, it was you were better be in the Jaws. And when you uh, when you got the assignment, you knew you were in trouble. And <laughs> I remember uh, a playoff series of Minnesota up there, third third game of, of, of best of three series, and we just had everything you could possibly think of in that series. And uh, I remember walking off to the to the rink uh, for the third period and looking at Derek and the other two partners that were with, and I just said, I think this is what it's like going to the electric chair. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, and of course, Derek turned around and said, dead man walking. So, <laughs> but it was, uh, he thrived on those moments. Um, I, I'm, I'm a, I was a better official for having worked in those buildings like that, but uh, North Dakota was really kept, you know, just their style of play uh, and the building being, I mean, we used to always say, it amazed me uh, when you went to a game up there, and, and I think it's still like this because I, I've been to just a couple since I've been done, but everybody's in the building for the National Anthem. So it's a full building from start to finish. Uh, passionate, knowledgeable fans that, uh, that'll let you have it. And they, you know, they like to show your personality a little bit, and they, if you did, then they just, they took it and ran. And, uh, but it was, uh, it was always hard. Um, so I, I never really I answered your question. I didn't really have a place I hated going. Wisconsin was a lot of fun just because it's a good campus. Um, you know, Anchorage was Anchorage was nice, and, and we didn't work at Fairbanks, so um, Anchorage was always a nice trip because you really kind of got out of the, the limelight for a while. I mean, the games would start till eleven o'clock our time here, ten o'clock, and everything was already done. And, uh, there wasn't a lot of media coverage up there. Uh, so you just kind of get a weekend where you just work hockey and not worry about anything else. Uh, and then when Telephus was up there, they, they would go a whole weekend without kicking penalties. So 
it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a bad place to go. Um, and then of course you got the Denver and the CC where you could, you get out of here and it was like 30 below and you get there and it'd be 50, 60 degrees. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was all, they all had their charm. Um, and then Duluth was a blast and Cloud was a blast. We just, we just, we had, we had good. And then even back in the, you know, the end of the time when we went to Omaha, that was also another trip that was always fun too. So to, to expand on that in playoffs, you and Shep were the refs when the puck went through the net, right? Was that you? Yeah, no, I was. Uh, you... Derek was not. We weren't together. Oh. So, and, and he'll tell you the same thing. For some reason, uh, he separated us in the playoffs, in the final five. We, okay. worked, uh, we worked all the way up um, through the first round. And then uh, he put me with Todd Anderson. And then he put Derek and Donnie Adam together. And uh, I think he thought at the time that, that he was setting Derek and Donnie up to, to get to the Frozen Four when the exact opposite happened, where Todd and I got to the Frozen Four, and, and they didn't. So, uh, yeah, so Air Force and Vermont, uh, for those of you that uh, don't know about this, so this is 2009. Um, we were in overtime, and Puck went back to the point, and the defenseman took a slap shot and just ripped it. And it hit the backboards and everybody just kept playing on. And we, the guy that shot it looked at me because I was standing fairly close to him and, and just kind of put his arms off to the side. And then Tony check was in, in that all room where the lines were. And Tony was standing by me. And I said, that puck went through the net, didn't it? And he said, I think so. <laughs> and so the, the biggest problem with that was, is there was nothing in the rule for us to stop play at that point. We just kind of had to let it go. And play went on for like six and a half minutes after that. <laughs> and so when we finally did get a stoppage, we had to go back and try to find this footage. And we couldn't find it. ESPN could not find anything. Um, and I was so positive that that puck had gone through that net just by the way that angle, by where he shot the puck and where it went and how it bounced out. You just knew that it didn't. Because the net the net moved, and yeah. from where he was, he was right in front of the net. There was no way that it could have hit Twine uh, if it didn't go through the net. So we just needed to find the right clip uh, to be able to justify the, the taking the goal off. And so it took, I mean, it took like 10 minutes to get the, the review done. Uh, and then ESPN finally had a, an ice-level view from the opposite end that showed that puck go right through the net. And then we were able to take it off and, and Frank's attorney at the Air Force Academy was he still I see him uh, at, at occasion up in Bemidji when we have our reunions up there but you know he just he just always says he goes I knew I knew when you came out of the replay booth and you came out of the penalty box and you didn't have your helmet strapped that a game was over with so I must have came out of there with my helmet not buckled because I knew the game was over he picked up on it but yeah. uh you know I mean because that was overtime right it was an overtime. Yeah. yeah. And that was to grow to the frozen four. So yeah. uh, Vermont ended up going to the frozen four. And uh and Frank uh was such a class act after that. Um he, he he's never said a bad word. He's never been uh, he's never been angry about it, he's never been bitter, he's never blamed anybody, he's just been a, a class act and uh you know, that's what that's how that's what they raise up in Bemidji State, by the way. Class acts. So yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that that's a that's a good story. 
Uh, as a matter of fact, that really put me on the radar with the NCAA. And uh, from that point on, I worked in 2009 uh, and 10 and 12. And then uh, I thought 2016 as well, we went to, to Philadelphia, or 15 months in Philadelphia, and then went to Boston as well the next year. So it was, I was able to, to kind of get on the radar, which isn't easy. A lot of really, really good officials in the country. And to be able to work, uh, you know, five or six rows and fours is you know, really something I will always uh, be grateful for and cherish. And I'm just looking, Tim. Um, that was the year of the the Miami. This is the start of a great dynasty. Comments. <laughs> and Marco Marco was working that game too. Yeah, we were we were sitting in the stands, one row behind a dad with his two kids that was a Miami fan, and yeah. he turned to his kids with like two minutes left and said, "Pay attention, you're watching history." And then his team proceeded to lose. He did like history, right? Yeah, not, not the history he was hoping for. That's that's for sure. Yeah, it's funny because I, I haven't see, I haven't seen or, or talked to Rico much since that that game, and I'm not sure how he can bring it up to this day. So, uh, but yeah, that was uh, that was a game. Todd and I, with Tom, with uh, Tony Jerk and uh, Matt Owen, got the chance to work that game, Boston University in, in Miami, which was you know definitely a highlight in my career. Yeah, that was a heck of a game. Yeah. So and we so, were a non-factor. That was the best part of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't remember you being a factor. So yeah. Uh, so the so being a ref in the playoffs, like what you know, we talk a lot as fans about how uh how frustrating the attendance can be at these regionals. What is that experience like for you going from like a packed final five to like an almost empty barn in Cincinnati or something? Yeah, really, really good question. Um, it, it was it was an adjustment, you know, because you really, honestly, it was kind of a letdown. Um, you know, it, the final five was the best best thing ever. It, it was it'll never be duplicated, never be repeated, and and it was just it was just so. I mean, you guys were all there. You you know what it was like, and. It was it was just something that you just you can't really describe how great it was. It's almost like the state tournament or the meeting pot or whatever they have. Um, and then to go from there uh, and to go to Worcester and work in front of 600 people, uh, you know, because yeah. the Air Force and and you know Miami of Ohio are, are out there playing, you know, and nobody's there now. When Boston College or Boston University or Maine or some of those teams would, would be playing. Um, you know, in some of those barns, it, it, it could get pretty exciting. But, you know, also the, the ticket prices were so expensive even back then uh, that, you know, a, a, you know, family of four or five, that would be pretty tough for them to, to go. But, you know, we always seem to go out east just because of we could not work our teams in the NCAA. So wherever our teams were, we weren't. Uh, so we were usually out east somewhere. You know, whether that was Albany or Worcester or uh, Bridgeport. Um, we went to Manchester a few times, uh, Providence. You know, th those were all really nice, fun buildings, but um, not like the Final Five. So it was a, it was a letdown, but uh, the hockey really was good. NCAA hockey, it was uh, – Derek will tell you this, too. It was like it really it – was, it was not that it was easy hockey – but those teams were playing hockey, and they knew a penalty uh, was going to maybe eliminate them from from this for the season. And 
so they played hard. They played clean. We, we had some nightmares, a couple of games here and there. I remember a specific game uh, where Shane Gothis Bear was kind of lost his mind a little bit. Um, you know, it, and it was, uh, you know, so those were kind of fun. Quick Winnipeg had some teams that were, were tough to work. And, but, uh, yeah, for the most part, it was a letdown, uh, crowd wise to go out there. You just, uh, you just kind of were happy to be part of the NCAA. And, and as, as the referees, I mean, it's competitive. You want to get to that next step, uh, and you want to get to the frozen four and you want to work that championship game. So, you know, as you stepped on the ice, it didn't really matter what the crowd was like. It was just, it was different than, than the final five and, and rooting for your teams and, and also rooting for yourselves uh, was a little different as well. And when you say your teams, are you guys required to basically say, you know, this is a team you won't officiate when you say that or, or is it a league thing? Yeah, it's a league thing. So okay. they have, um, you have to have neutrality um, in the NCAAs. So, you know, we were not allowed to work our teams. Um, they did experiment one year, um, and I don't remember Mike Schmidt worked. He worked North Dakota, I believe, um, as a referee in the NCAAs, and then he had two linesmen from the East, uh, and the game went fantastic, no complaints, no problems, but then the coaches voted it out there next uh, spring. So <laughs> for some reason, it just didn't and I don't think they'll even try that anymore. I mean, even the one year. When all four teams are from the WCHA, we still didn't get officials in there. So um, I know our I know what most of our coaches wanted our officials in because we worked the hardest hockey all year long, and they knew what they were going to get with us. Uh, and they, you know, even though we went to war against them all year long, they did respect us in the end, uh, and they wanted us there. And it just it just wouldn't they wouldn't allow it. So you know, and that, and that's the weird part because you know if the further they advanced. The less you would advance, so you're almost like you know you wanted them to win because you want you you want the league to be good. You want the national championship to come out of our league. But then if they win, then you don't get the work. So it was really kind of a <laughs> tough spot to be in. So you just kind of let it happen, and whatever happened happened. Um, shoot, I lost it. So well, I'll go then. No, there go was... ahead, Rob. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you always hear about you know talking about the differences of the, the leagues and how they officiate. You know, kind of just from watching, your Eastern hockey is a little different. Western hockey is a little different. Do you guys see that as refs as well when you go, you know, nationally and you guys start refing some hockey East or, or uh, you know, games from out there that the players aren't used to the style of officiating from a Western official at all? Does that make any difference at all? Or is that just something that's kind of blown up by fans a little bit? Um, yeah, I'm not sure how it is now. Back back when, whenever I would have an Eastern team, they'd always appreciate how we you know, let them play a little bit more. Um, and it was definitely the case where you know the, the Eastern guys would call it by the book, and you would you have a more of a manage the game, and call what you needed to call, that kind of thing. Um, when when the rules kind of changed and we started getting rid of the, the hooking and holding and stuff like that, it got a little bit less because we were calling more penalties. But you know, like I said, it's um, you know in, back in the old WCHA days, you were working in front of full barns just every weekend. Right? Most of the games are on TV. Um, most of the team, most of the time, you're working working a top ten ranked team, um, and and so the pressure was there, and 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 you. You had to be good at what you were doing, or you weren't going to survive. 
And, and so I think more or less when we were working Eastern teams, you know, I think they appreciated the way we called and the way we communicated. Uh, not to take anything, but I got good friends that are, were officials out, out East and they're all really good officials. Um, but I just think the style was a little different. I, I don't think it's quite as dramatic as it was back in, you know, in like the middle of my career, but it was back then. It was uh, definitely noticeable how they call the game versus how we call it out here. Yeah, just like everything, it's all mixing in there. You know, uh, you're losing those little regional differences with everything becoming more and more spread out, right? So right. it's hockey, it's language, it's the way we talk, all of it's changing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, we talked about like least favorite barns. Uh, do you have any uh, coaches maybe that, that aren't coaching anymore that you either didn't really like interacting with or really enjoyed um the back and forth of talking during a game. I I liked every coach I ever worked. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing bad to say about any of those coaches. Um, you know, obviously there there was some. Uh, you know, I had I had I had moments with you know, like I bring up like a guy like Troy Judding, right? Troy Troy and I would butt heads like no one's business on the ice. But Troy would be the first one to buy me a beer in the bar. So, um, that's the kind of thing that I really appreciated about the old WCHA is it was like, it was war, but when it was over, it was over. Um, I don't really, you know, like the guys that, that hold grudges and, and, you know, and bring it from game to game. It's not how we operate. You know, we understand you have a job to do and, and they should understand that we have a job to do as well. Uh, and we're really not, we don't play favorites. We just do the best job we can and we're in it for ourselves as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, Troy was, Troy was great that way. And, and we really did bought some heads along the way, but you know, it's getting a chance to work, you know, the Dean blaze, um, uh, George Bosdecki, you know, and Don, uh, and, and I was, I, I never, never had issues with Don on the bench. Probably why he wanted me to take this job. <laughs> You know, so, but yeah, all of them, Sandy, um, you know, and, and all the rest of them were, were all guys that, um, you know, pretty much got along with, um, you know, that the Greg Shepard used to have everybody come in, uh, coaches, the coaches would have their meetings and we'd have our meetings and then we would spend time together, uh, as a league and we would go golfing. Um, so we'd spend an entire, and then we'd have dinner. And so there was an entire Saturday where we were spending the referees and the coaches, I just, you know, think about that today. It just, it just probably wouldn't happen. Uh, but you know, you got to know these guys as people, and they got to know you as people, and and you you grow friendships out of that. And I just, I, I went to the uh, North America Showcase for a couple of games last week, and ran into some of the coaches. I ran into uh, Steve Miller. I ran into Killer over there, who's one of the assistants at Minnesota. And well, you would have thought that uh, you know we hadn't seen each other in hundred years, and we were best of friends because. The stories were coming out and uh, big hugs before we left, and it was just uh, it was just really fun to see them outside of a you know on the bench type of thing. And so the, the coaches' camaraderie. Uh, every time I see you know the territories, there's a couple of stories here and there. Um, it's just a, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a brethren, and it's you know yeah you have you have tension. It's just the nature of the beasts when it comes to uh, officials and coaches, but. The mutual respect that you get off the ice when you see them in a non-coaching setting is it, just something that you really, really do appreciate. 
Yeah, I, I think that really fits in with with how much I think I feel like Dustin and I all the times out at the DT running into the different referees and hanging out with Sean Jacques and whoever he had brought to the bar that night. Mm-hmm. I think that really helped us get to know you guys and see your side of the calls that maybe frustrated us. And and like you said, I think you guys interacting with the coaches that way really does help everybody see everybody in the equation as a little more human than maybe you would otherwise if it's just the referee that you deal with for the 60 minutes that the the game's happening versus um getting to know the the people as like you get to learn that all you guys are trying your best to be fair and call the game the way it should be called and nobody's trying to screw anybody no matter what you might think like and i think that really helped when when we get to know all these different refs personally versus just what they do on the ice. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think that, you know, I'm, I, I said this at camp a couple weeks ago that, you know, you know, that I think I'm encouraging these guys to show their personality a little bit out there. It's probably not something you're going to see, um, you know, just watching the game, but the way they interact with the coaches, the way they interact with the players, um, players appreciate the human aspect of it too. And, um, you know, it, it helped me as an official to, to get to know some of the players. Now there are, there are some players I tried to engage with them and they just wouldn't. And, and, you know, you try, you try a couple of times and after a while you just really understand they just weren't going to, weren't going to engage with you. They just either were capable of it or they didn't want to, but you know, I, I got a chance to referee a lot of really, really good hockey players that were just great guys, you know, like David Backus or something like that. Right. So, you know, a guy was had a great NHL career. He was one of the greatest guys. And, I've ever refereed Jordan Leopold. You know, those guys were just great. They were great human beings and great players. And there's so many of them. You know, I can't even begin to tell you how many of them were. But, uh, you know, running into you guys uh, and, and you guys understanding that we're human. I mean, there's such there's such a dehumanization of officials in this world right now. You can just go on the internet browser right now and see how many uh, little articles there are ripping on referees in the football games tonight. It's just amazing. You pull it up and they're, you know, slamming some official or umpire or, or something like that. So there's the dehumanization. And all you have to do is go watch a youth game too and see some, <laughs> some parent yelling at a ref that's, you know, that's just trying to make a couple bucks out there and stay involved. Um, you just you, you just wouldn't see that in any other aspect of life. And and so we understand that as officials and anything that we can do to bridge that um, and show your personality and no, you know, we're not encouraging them to, you know, do the West Macaulay, you know, do for fighting type of thing. But it's, you know, people like that. They like when West Macaulay makes a fighting call, you know. And it's, you know, the fishing world doesn't like to see a lot of that personality. But I think we'll try to encourage guys to be a little more themselves. And, you know, not, you know, don't try to put a, a round peg in a square hole. But it's um, use your personality. Um, sometimes it helps. Sometimes it helps to go up to somebody and say, you know what, I, I'm sorry, I missed that call. You know, I, I, I just, I just missed it. I didn't get a good look at it. Now, you say that to some coaches, some players, and they'll just use that against you. You know, and and they'll go to the media and, and they'll go, you know, put it on Twitter or whatever they do. And and so, it's not as easy as you think to just go admit to a mistake. But there are coaches. Um, I remember one um, when I first worked the Big Ten. I got a chance to work um, the Michigan State Michigan game and uh, at Joe Lewis, 
And uh, it was a pretty full building, which was uh, crazy uh, to go over there and work that and just uh, Thursday night and have it be packed. And the first call of the game, I wasn't in a good position and the puck squirted out and I was on the wrong side of the net and, and they, they banged it in that I already blown the list. And uh, Michigan State uh, ended up losing the game by one goal. And, you know, I just, I just felt terrible. I just felt like I, I just wasn't ready um, to begin the game like I should have been. I should have been in a better position to make a call. And the next night, the first thing I did is go into town and ask us and say, I, I'm, I, I screwed up. I, I kicked it. And, and uh, you know, he just said, you know, he didn't say much at the time, but after the game, he came up and with him and his assistant came up and said, I really appreciate you saying that to me. Yeah. And and so from then on, we always had that kind of a uh, respect with each other. Uh, but you know, there to be honest with you, there were other coaches that just you know that would have been the worst thing I could have done to say that I missed that. You know? <laughs> so you really got to kind of know who you're dealing with, who your audience is. But most people, I would say to a team, uh, just want you to admit when you're wrong and just be yeah. human. Yeah, no, that's a good that's good advice in in life in general. <laughs> Uh, well, Marco, I think we got through all the questions. Uh, we covered everything that I think we really wanted to. So thank you for joining us this week on the podcast. Yeah, anytime, guys. I, I, it was a pleasure. Um, I, you know, As you probably could tell, I can, I can talk uh, college <laughs> hockey with you guys uh, anytime you need it. And, and again, if, during the season, if you guys have questions, um, we'll get bogged down into the day-to-day of things. But there's obviously um, – it's, it's my job as the director to try to keep everybody educated on what's going on, rule changes and different things that happen. Uh, and if you have have a question or you need an interpretation, just reach out. You guys know how to get all of it. Sounds great. Thanks for joining us, Sounds Marco. Good. Yeah, thanks again. Boys, talk soon. Do you work in manufacturing, product design, or product development? Is your business trying to improve efficiency while also producing at scale? Livonia Technical Services can help. They provide world-class quality improvement training and consulting for failure modes and effect analysis, product development, and cost reduction. All things that could help Northern Michigan assemble a competent defense. If you think your business could use a prevention mindset and reduce manufacturing costs, a partnership with Livonia Technical Services might be right for you. Check them out at livoniatech.net. That's L-I-V-O-N-I-A tech.net. Fibke Dental is a general dentistry practice located in downtown Rhinelander, Wisconsin, home of the Hodag. Look online at FibkeDental.com or find them on Facebook. They do pain-free dentistry for kids, adults, people that went to great schools, and people that ended up at Northern Michigan. Stop in and say hi between 8 and 5 and tell them THG sent you. That is F-I-E-B-K-E Dental.com. All right. I guess it's just the three of us for this part. Um, we lost Matt. We lost yeah, Matt. Matt said he had to drop. Uh, so I published a, a quick little piece earlier today talking about the CCHA preseason picks by the coaches and media. Um, and I published our ballot, which was mainly my opinion with some some help from, from the rest of the guys. Um, a big thing that comes out of this is that uh, Michigan Tech was picked by both the coaches and the media as a preseason favorite to win the McNaughton Cup. Uh, it was a nail-biter for the coaches. 
mainly swayed by whoever decided to vote for St. Thomas as a first place vote instead of also picking, um, I guess, picking Northern Michigan. Um, so I don't know what you guys thought. Or, I don't know what you guys actually thought of my it's, ballot that got submitted versus what came out in the other two polls. I, I have a question that I don't think we'll be able to answer. Um, has Tech ever been picked to win the league in the preseason? Where was a preseason poll like this existing at the last time Tech was good enough to come out you know, on top of it? You know, I don't know. I there's I don't a poss- there's so. a possibility that um my guess would be if you look at the coaches poll going back as far as we could with the CCHA, it's it's been Mankato on top each year. Yeah, I don't know. I there's a possibility that they're like the first or second year of the the new WCHA that a Mel Pearson team was picked, but I don't think so. I I just don't um, I don't remember them being in the preseason favorites the the year that they turned out to be really good. Yeah, and I don't think they were. It's possible I'd have to look back. And then I'm I'm guessing that that these preseason polls did not exist in the 70s and we weren't picked since they actually started <laughs> later on in Yeah, I don't I don't think uh, the original CCHA would have preseason polls for for when we were in it. I think you're correct there. Yeah. Um so yeah, I don't I think this probably is a first. I'd have to do a little more digging to see if that's true. I would have thought Cal might have said something, but that's also probably hard to find without a stack of yearbooks. Yeah, that'd be hard. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, so that's kind of cool. Um, probably the the biggest surprise to me is Minnesota State getting a first place vote from the media, and then St. Thomas getting a a first place vote from the coaches. I think it's uh, the coaches poll having them all the way down at six. I think is pretty telling. You know, the coaches tend to be. I don't know. Be interesting to see what the media versus coaches are, but. Yeah, it's. I think it's it's kind of nuts to me that that they're. I mean, they're down in sixth. It'd be interesting to see what it's like for that program to be so different this year. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I, it, yeah. I I find it hard to believe that they're going to fall fall to six, but but they've been so gutted. I don't. I don't know. I know yeah. It's but... not that they can't succeed. It's just hard to like. It's the complete opposite of last year, where we basically said they're first and they should be voted first until they prove otherwise. Well, you have a new coach. You have so much turnover in who's on that team that it's hard not to see them falling. I mean, I had them fourth, um, but I do think that that fourth, fifth, sixth is a cluster. And now that now with the Bowling Green news, you have to imagine that that they're just as much in that cluster as whereas before before that news dropped, it really did feel like it was Tech Northern Bowling Green, and there's a pretty big stratification there. That that then then there was the Minnesota State St. Thomas Bemidji strata, and then then you had Fair State and Lake State, and and like there were three distinct groups of teams going into this season. And now with the news for Bowling Green that we'll get to in a little bit, it's it's it definitely feels more like it's Michigan Tech and Northern Michigan. And if anybody else is competing for the McNaughton, it's kind of a surprise. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And you know, the Bowling Green stuff is you know 
interesting in and of itself how much is going to fall there it sounds like they're going to have some big changes if yep. everything falls through right yeah talk about that i guess the segue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll get it we'll get there um so then the like we said you know this this bowling green news dropped this morning um i guess uh, but but before that happened, both the coaches and media had Austin Swankler as the preseason player of the year with Blake Piedela being co-preseason player of the year by the coaches. And he was my pick for preseason player of the year. Um, and then rookie of the year was Eric Polkamp picked by, I'm guessing, pretty much everyone. Um, he's the fifth round draft pick for the San Jose Sharks for Bemidji State at defense. Um, probably has a decent shot at being like on the all CCHA team this year, not just an all rookie. Um, but yeah, and then the forwards were identical between my ballot and both the coaches and the media, with it being Andre Gantus from Northern Michigan, Kyle Kukinen from Michigan Tech, and then Austin Swankler from Bowling Green State. Defense was a jumble of. Uh, like the only player that both the coaches and media agreed on was Josh Zinger from Northern Michigan, which I guess if I had noticed, he I think he's probably got the most points of anybody who's returning to the team they played for last year. I think he had like three goals and 16 assists or something last year as like the third or fourth defenseman for Northern. They lost their top two, I believe. Um, Blake Pietola, unanimous, well, not unanimous, but the preseason media coaches and my ballot for goaltender of the year. And then we had uh, Ben Wozni from Bowling Green, uh, Jed Piedela from Michigan Tech, and Kyle Loof from Bemidji State making the preseason um, all-CCHA team. None of the five players picked by the coaches or the media were on my ballot. I really struggled with that. I might have voted for Josh Singer if I had noticed his stats. But I picked Trevor Russell because I think he's got the best possibility of being like a 20-some point getter on the blue line if he's healthy all year. Uh, you know, putting out, he'll, I, I have a feeling he's probably going to score the most goals of any defenseman in the league. Um, and then I picked Jordan Power as a transfer in from, it was Clarkson, right, Dustin, for Minnesota yep. State? Yep. I put up a decent points for Clarkson. Um, I think Dustin and I had it. We we both kind of did some research trying to figure out D-men because it's really hard to. There's no good place to go look up everybody's stats of the players that are returning. Uh, and without college hockey stats, I don't think there's a good place to go find like the list of all the defensemen and then find all the guys that are in the WCHA or CCHA. And then you also have the issue of guys like Jordan Power who's transferring in. I know the other name that I had thought of was, um, do you remember the name of the guy from that transferred from Air Force? I don't remember the name. Uh, another but there's Bemidji, another defenseman. Another um, Mankato transfer. Yeah, another, another defenseman transferring into Minnesota State from Air Force who put up better points than Jordan Power, but obviously doing it for Air Force. Um, so it, it's a little, I think it's a little frustrating for both the media and the um and the coaches to have voted and have this drop on the same day that the 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 multiple bombs dropped uh, from from uh, Bowling Green, Ohio today. Uh, the big announcement first that came out was that Austin Swankler was in the portal. 
um, which was very quickly confirmed by uh, Brad Sloshman, who somehow has access through his, uh, uh, I forget the dude's name now. I, I assume he has access thanks to the coaching staff at North Dakota. Uh, Bradbury. Yeah, what would he joke? The Bradbury, his login is Bradbury1 or something. Isn't that what yeah. I said on the, <laughs> yeah. one of the podcasts? Something yeah. like that. Um, so we have that news that Swankler's in the transfer portal. And then very, and then lots of speculation very quickly about how can he enter the portal. Uh, Harrison Watt made it very clear to me that that I'm misreading the fact that um, players can enter the portal anytime they want. They can only enter in the 45 day window or when a coach is relieved of his duties without penalty. So Austin Swinkler was completely within his right to enter the portal. But depending on how what the deal is with the investigation and everything and how that plays into this, he might be able to transfer without penalty. But it also sounds like because class has started with fall semester that he's probably unable to transfer and play in the fall regardless. Um, if he were to transfer now, he could probably transfer now and roll and be able to play after semester break. Uh, that's the best news I have on that right now. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see what happens, you know. And the other thing that we talked about internally was this is a really tough time to transfer because more than likely every team has committed their scholarships to somebody. And I know Dustin had brought up the fact that Cooley left. Um, and, and my point on that was, well, once they decided they're not going to directly replace Cooley, they probably divvied up that scholarship to somebody or uh, multiple players in some fashion, you know, give a couple more players a full ride that were on 80% scholarship or whatever. Um, yep. So it's hard to say who actually has scholarship money available at this point. Um, that's, that would also have an interest in, in bringing in an Austin Swinkler. Um, and I, you know, we, we don't know his, his academic situation, how that plays at other schools. I, and not that this would be a shock to any of our listeners, but I don't expect him to land at Michigan Tech. I don't think he's the kind of player Joe wants on the team, but I could be wrong. Um, uh, so basically, after the Austin Swankler news dropped, the, the next shoe to drop was that uh, Bowling Green was conducting an investigation of alleged off-campus of, a, of an alleged off-campus hazing incident. Um, it was reported that three players had been placed on interim suspension and that head coach Ty Eigner was being placed on administrative leave and that uh, assistant coach Curtis Carr was being named the interim head coach of Bowling Green while this investigation is ongoing and that Curtis Carr is replaced as the person that will be speaking at the CCHA Media Day, which is um, tomorrow morning. Yeah, which I guess will be Tuesday day. when you see hear that. Yeah, right. Also, <laughs> twenty four hours after this drops, he gets to go before us our the media tomorrow. So that'll be interesting for him. Um, yeah. So we added that. You know, it's a developing story. That's pretty much what we've got on that. The one other thing that we've heard, um, that that seems pretty credible is that Austin Swinkler is not one of the three players that has been placed on interim suspension. Um, and we've seen a lot of PR speak coming out of the Austin Swankler camp that certainly seems like uh, 
his family advisor is is earning his future earnings very much so right now trying to <laughs> to craft the pr message to help austin swinkler distance himself from whatever did happen uh, at bowling green um so yeah it is kind of a i don't think it's a great look for the league that you release the the preseason polls and you've got swinkler as a preseason uh, player of the year and preseason all ccha only to have him announce he's transferring out of uh, at least off of bowling green who knows if he if he can find a landing spot in the ccha or what what will happen i i there's a lot of talk that he'll turn pro that's a possibility and maybe this is a first step towards showing like i think he wants to play college yet and develop more as a player at least that's what i got out of some of the stuff that's been published from his his words um so it'll be interesting to see if he's, you know, I mean, I'm sure plenty of teams would take him if he's willing to pay his way because he wants to play kind of thing. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out and what happens. Because like I said to to the guys on our Discord it's or on our Slack, that it's going to be tough for um, any team to do anything for him because if he wants you know a full ride or something similar at this point you're basically having to cut a player who's already on the team and i'm not even sure that's allowed now that school has started um yeah i don't know what the actual rules are around that that's a interesting question i i I did look it up i believe he's from pennsylvania so in-state tuition at penn state maybe that has something maybe that plays into scholarship because we've heard that from, I think it was from Joe before that getting Michigan players in, uh, you know, in state state of Michigan players helps with the scholarship situation. Yeah. Uh yeah. Or I I know somebody else joked about uh, um something like Robert Morris and com- Robert Morris coming back this year, right? And I'm sure that's not the situation, an ideal situation for him. But I'm I wouldn't be surprised if if they could find some boosters to come up with some more money if they're not full scholarship yet and weren't planning on being full scholarship this year. Um, as they ramp back up, that's a possibility. But yeah, I really don't know what's going to happen here. It's it's a very odd situation. Um, very weird to to drop uh right now and i don't like honestly i don't i don't remember looking enough to even know who i would pick for the third forward if i if i had to redo my ballot right now um yeah i don't know it's it's an odd situation one minute remaining in the podcast so that should pretty much do it right yeah i think so all right we're good we're we're at two hours almost so yeah (laughs) I think it, I think we did a pretty good job of keeping it split reasonably well. I think I'll probably let some of the I'll probably try and cut out those couple segments that fit more in the first half with the first episode um when this actually drops for the public, but uh that should do it for this episode of the Chasing McNaughton podcast. Please check out our Patreon and join by visiting patreon.com/techhockeyguide. Uh patrons that are white level or above receive question priority. Uh, black level or above receive access to extra podcast content including extended versions of every podcast patrons at the gold level or above receive unfiltered youtube video of our podcast each week 
And then we've got one level above that where you get the raw audio released almost as soon as I can get it up after we record. So you'll be listening here at, you know, 11 o'clock on Monday night. Um, follow us on Twitter at Chasing Mac Pod or at Tech Hockey Guide. Hopefully in the next couple weeks, we will have accounts on Blue Sky since I just got my account there. Um, so I'll try and get both of those tied up when I get two more um uh, the ability to add more people. Uh, you can submit questions through Twitter, Facebook, or on our Patreon page. Don't forget to submit to or subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, if you're new to this or you're looking for a new way to do it, please try and use Spotify because that one gets us the most um, commercial money for any commercials that run on the podcast. If you are listening to our podcast and you hear an advertisement that is not read by Rob, Dustin, myself, Matt, or my daughter, please let us know on Twitter. I'd love to hear about it because I want to know how much that's happening. Um, I think we're going to start adding a second um, uh, spot for those ads to run. And I'm intrigued to see how how much that actually happens. Um, if you can't find the podcast, uh, find the podcast on your site of choice. Please let us know. We'll make it happen. The more you rate, review, and share, the more people you can reach. So tell your friends. If you give us a five star rating, Dustin will read the review no matter what you say. So let's get some more ratings. Get us up there. I know dropping the multiple episodes a week should help us get back into the the USA Apple or the USA Hockey rankings on uh, uh, Chartable. So that'll be great. We got pretty close. I think we were actually in the top 200 podcasts for a little bit last week. But as we get closer to actually getting, you know, our usual hundred some listens within a week, we should be able to get there. Uh, once again, thanks to our sponsors, Fibke, Fibke Dental in Rhinelander, Wisconsin, Arcadia Insurance, covering most of the Midwest, including Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan, Illinois, Indiana, I think Ohio. I got to look on that one and Livonia Technical Services out of Livonia, Michigan. And finally, thanks to the thank you notes for all the bumpers in this week's episode. If you like what you hear, check them out at thethankyounotes.bandcamp.com. been listening to the chasing mcnaughton podcast presented by tech hockey guide covering the michigan tech huskies and the ccha